Hello, and welcome to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. In this weekly podcast, you'll be inspired and equipped through the power of God's Word to live an overcoming life. To follow Jesus means to follow His example of caring for others. It's about answering the call and walking in compassion, focusing on the needs of others and not ourselves. In this message, Pastor Dave Koop uses the story of the Good Samaritan, who is the classic example of someone who answered the call to care. And now for this week's message. The disciples are a good example because when we look at their lives, it actually gives me a lot of courage because, man, they, they were a work in progress. And it's the same thing for us. We're a work in progress. It takes a while for us to kind of figure it out and to learn how to care for others. So that's where we're going to go this morning. If you have your notes, grab those, and we'll get started on it this morning. And uh, we'll go through a few verses. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, there's a good verse there that Jesus says. Uh, he talks to his disciples. He's talking to the, the fishermen, Peter and uh, James and that group of guys. And he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so the whole idea is if we follow him, something changes in our life. And if you're taking notes, you can put it in there. It says, leaders are made and not born. He says, I will make you fishers of men. You know, this is good for us to realize because when we come to faith in Christ, we begin to follow him. It doesn't happen instantly. We know we should care for people, but it takes a while. And really, he begins to work on us and mold us and change us. And just so you know, the disciples didn't start off instantly just being, yes, going to do this, going to care. Uh, it, was, it was, like I say, a work in progress. And it's the same way for us. So this morning, I hope to encourage you that if you feel like you're a work in progress, you're in good company, and you just know that he is working, he's making you a fisherman, he's, he's transforming us to care for our city. And so the second point is to follow Jesus means to follow his example of caring for others. There's no better example than Jesus for somebody who really knows how to care for others. Lots of verses for that. I put a couple in your notes there. Matthew 4, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Maybe if you want to circle those words in your notes, he was moved with compassion. Compassion moved him. Compassion caused him to take action. Fire was sharing in his story that before he came to faith in Christ, he, he, he wasn't like that. But when he, he found his faith in Christ, he began to think about people, began to care for people. And it's the same way for us. Is when we find that faith in our Lord, we had the testimonies of those that were baptized last night. And a lot of them said beforehand, I was pretty selfish or this or that. But afterwards, I found myself caring for people. What is that? It's because the love of God gets put inside of our heart. He deposits in us, and all of a sudden now his love becomes our love. God is love. And when you invite him into your heart, you get love. You have a download of love into your heart. And that compassion is on the inside of you, and you start to care for other people. And it, and it moves you. Uh, if you don't have compassion, you're not moved. He was moved with compassion, and he healed the sick. That other verse says he was moved with compassion, and he taught them many things. You don't just help people and put a bandit on it. You also have to teach them. If you're to visit Union Gospel Mission, they have a place there to feed people, to encourage them. But there's also a training program to get them back to work, etc. There's a teaching component that goes with them. He was moved by compassion. He taught, moved by compassion. He helped them. That word compassion is an interesting word. I put it there in your notes, the Greek word. I am not even going to try to pronounce that word. It may as well be supercalifragilisticexpialidocious because it's just this one big, long Greek word. But it's a good word. It's an important word. 
And I don't know if we have a word in English that really does it justice because it means this deep yearning on the inside. It just means, in the, if you look it up by definition, it means to have the bowels yearn. That sounds kind of gross, have the bowels yearn. Anyhow, just what the dictionary said. It means deep sympathy, move to action, but you get the idea. Down deep inside, it's like I must do something about that. I just, something's churning on the inside of me. I have to just break through the barriers. I must help. I must care for this situation. That's what the Good Samaritan had when he went and helped people or helped the man that was hurt on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Thirdly, to walk in compassion requires us to deny ourselves or deny yourself and to be outwardly focused. Now, here's, here's the deal. Typically, we're pretty self-centered, right? You never have to take a child and say, I'm going to train you to be selfish. We, kids just grow up being selfish. I mean, you don't have to train them. I said, no, it's my toy. This is my little thing. Or we, we, we have to train people to not to be selfish. And so we, we typically are inwardly focused. But to be caring means to be outwardly focused. Now, if you want to do a good devotional this week, go to Luke chapter 9 and just read about the disciples in Luke chapter 9. It, it's an incredible chapter. And it's one of my favorite chapters in my Bibles, this page is more wrinkled than the other pages because I've gone back and read it a number of times. I find it so encouraging because here the disciples are trained to be outward instead of inwardly focused. And it starts off in the first verse that Jesus calls his disciples and says, you know what, guys, you're ready. I'm sending you on a mission trip. And so they're pumped. Yeah, we're going to go on a mission trip. They're really excited. We send a team up to Nuvik. They're excited to go. We got a team going to Nibia. They're excited to go to Nibia. Well, these guys are being sent by Jesus, the 12 disciples on a mission trip, and they're pumped. Can't wait to go. And he empowers them to go. He says, I'm going to give you guys power to heal diseases, and you'll also be able to cast out demons. And so they have this amazing power, and they're sent out to preach the kingdom and away they go and so they go they departed and it says verse 6 they preached and healing everywhere and uh, then Herod hears about it and uh, he gets excited about it and you know I think the world really wakes up and listens when the uh, disciples are empowered to do it when Jesus was just doing it Herod didn't pay too much attention but when the 12 disciples are doing it go oh what's going on here and uh, so when we are outwardly focused and we're out there doing the stuff, people start to recognize, wow, there's something about this. Herod sees what's going on. He gets interested. Well, they come back from their mission trip, and they're pretty excited. And they meet with Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we've got to tell you everything that took place. And there's an interesting verse when they come back. Uh, boy, where is it now? I've got to find this. It's uh, verse 10. And the apostles, when they had returned told him all that they had done. I was thinking about that the other day. You know, when you come back from a missions trip, you want to tell somebody everything you did. And, uh, but I have yet to find somebody who wants to listen to everything that you did. You know, after four pictures, I'm kind of tuning out. Like, but uh, have you found that? You know, or you go on your holiday and you say, hey, can I show you all my pictures from my cruise? And after three pictures, yeah, that was nice. Now what, now what are we going to do? But not Jesus. Jesus, guys, he's the only one that I know of that listens to all that you did. And he'll listen to absolutely all the stories. So they tell him all that they had done on this mission trip. And so they're excited, and, it's, and they're, they're downloading. And, oh, then this happened. We healed this person. We went to this town. They're so pumped. Meanwhile, it's getting late in the day. A crowd is there following Jesus. 
And uh, we know that they were, there was 5,000 men. So let's say there's 5,000 ladies to match it plus kids. We could easily have over 15,000 people. Rogers Arena, that many people. As many people that are at Canucks game, that's how many people are there. So it's a big crowd. And uh, the disciples, because they care for others so much, they say to Jesus, Lord, please send the disciples. Let's send the crowd away. It's getting late. Just send them home. And he said, no, no, no. We're going to feed them. Really? Like, okay. And so the, the, the first thing is they want to send the multitudes away. So he helps them work through that. And you read down through the chapter, uh, verse 18, it happened he was alone praying, and then his disciples joined him. I don't know where the disciples were in the prayer meeting, but they came in later on. They, they weren't there for the prayer meeting, but they, they showed up later. Then, uh, you know, you go through this story, it's filled with just these disciples are, are really learning to be outwardly focused, not so much about them. One time he takes, in this chapter, he says, I'm going to take my starting lineup. The starting lineup are Peter, James, and John. We're going to go up on the mountain, and we're going to have a prayer meeting. Peter, James, and John, starting lineup, let's go to the top of the mountain to pray. So they get to the top of the mountain, and they're going to be praying. And if you read carefully, Peter, James, and John, they're not praying. They're sleeping. Jesus is praying, and the guys are having a nap on top of the mountain. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appear, and and Peter, oh, oh, what's going on? Oh, oh, we should build some tabernacles up here. That'd be a nice idea. Like, it's just out of the blue. He's just, really, Peter? Okay. And so they come down off the mountain. They fell asleep. They come down off the mountain. The nine other disciples are at the bottom of the mountain. And a father has come to them. And the, the, he has a son that's really tormented by evil spirits. Now, remember in the first verse, he says, I gave you power over evil spirits that bring the boy to him. The dad says to Jesus, I brought him to your disciples, but your disciples couldn't do anything. Now, they had power, so why couldn't they do something? Remember, compassion moves us. Love moves us. Jesus was moved with compassion. Why weren't they moved with compassion? Again, they're a work in progress like you and me. But I have a theory. Now, it's not there. You can have your own theory. But my theory is this. Peter, James, and John got to go to the top of the mountain. The other nine had to stay back. And I think the conversation went something like this. You know, I don't think it's fair. I don't think, I don't think Peter should have gone. I, really, I think I should have been able to go. Thomas says, I doubt it. I think I should be able to go. And so they had this, they're bickering back and forth. And they're so centered on themselves. Like, I should have been able to go up there with, I should have been with Jesus. No, I should have been with Jesus. That this, this man comes up with a son who's troubled and they've been given power to help him. And uh, they're so focused on themselves, they can't help somebody else. And that's the same with us. When we're so focused on ourselves, not outwardly focused, we don't care for others. So they missed that. They sent the multitudes away. They didn't show up for the prayer meeting. And right about now, Luke chapter 9 says they had an argument. The disciples are fighting amongst themselves, and they're just really getting at each other's throat. And Peter says, you know what? I'm the best disciple. I'm number one here. John says, no, no, I'm number one. And James says, no, no, that's me. I'm number one. And, you know, Judas says, no, I'm number one. I take care of the money. And so they're, they're, they're fighting amongst themselves. Who's the greatest? Jesus, you guys, <laughs> it's not about that. It's about following me, laying down your life. Then John, John the beloved, John who wrote the gospel of John, God, John who wrote first, second, third John, John who wrote the book of Revelation, John the great love disciple, you, got, you, you want to hear what he has to say? This is just a soul that we, you know, this, I find this encouraging because they were a work in progress. Uh, where is this? Where is it? 49, uh, no. 
Yes, that, yeah, that's it, 49. <laughs> You're so sharp. <laughs> Thank you. Helping the preacher. It is 49, yes. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Now listen to this. This is so caring, so compassionate. We forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said, don't forbid him. If he's not against us, he's on our side. This is John, John the beloved, inwardly focused. Where's the caring? So then Jesus says, going to go up to Samaria. And I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you know what? You guys go ahead. I'm going up to Samaria. Book me a hotel. Get a room. I'm going to have a meeting up there. So they go up there, and they go to all the different hotels. And, you know, they knock on Hampton Inn, Best Western, Hilton, all the hotels. And they knock on the doors. And, hey, Jesus of Nazareth is coming to town. Can we book a room and a meeting room? Can we have a place? They go, no. Too risky. No, you know, Jesus can't stay here. No, Jesus can't stay here. No, Jesus can't stay here. So they come back, and they give this report to Jesus. And uh, here's what they have to say. Uh, Landry, can you help me again? What verse is that? <laughs> where, where am I? Oh, verse 54. Here he is. 53. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciple, disciples, James and John, saw this. Remember, James and John, starting lineup, some of the best boys he's got. They, did, they weren't received. So did they say... Let's just pray for those who persecute us. Let's just bless them, Lord. How could we love them? Here's what they say. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? That'll warm your heart. I mean, that, that just, that just thank you. Where, where's the love? Where's the care in that? At this point, Jesus turns to them. He rebukes them. He says, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. This is, that's not who you are, guys. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. I came to care for people. And this is what we're about. We're to care for people. I only share that just to let you know that the disciples were a work in progress. You and I are a work in progress. To learn to care for the city, to learn to care for others, we will learn, go along the way. He'll help us. We'll get better as we go along, but we're to care for others. Just as the disciples were called to care, so are we. Now, fourthly, to answer the call and follow Jesus means, I know this is so basic. You're going to say, really? Do we have to review this? But yeah, we do. Let's put it up there. To means that you are not what? First. You are what? Following. If you follow Jesus, that means he's ahead of you. That means you are second. That means you are behind him. You are not first. At the end of this chapter, look what Jesus says. He goes on to say here at the end of this chapter, it's in your notes. Then Jesus said to another, follow me. But he said, underlined in in your notes, Lord, let me first. How many have said that? Lord, I will do that, but let me first. No, no, you're not first. That's the deal. You're following. You're second. He's Lord, you're not Lord. When we give our life to the Lord, he is Lord over our life. That means we're no longer Lord over our life. He's the manager. He is the one. Why do we give him our life? Because we messed up with it. And we knew that, man, I'm not doing a very good job. My life is going nowhere. It's empty. It's broken, all the rest of it. And then he comes in and he guides us and, wow, there is an abundant life. 
but he's Lord. We're, we're second. We're following. Then the next verse, uh, verse 61, but another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first. No, no. If you follow him, you're not first. He's first. I know it's fundamental, but if we want to care for others, we'll have to put him first because God has a way of showing up and asking you to do something at the most inconvenient time. And you'll go, Lord, but my schedule, Lord, but I'm the way from Jerusalem to Jericho. I got a business appointment. I can't stop now, but I'm first. See, our lives have to be deposited into Christ. This is what Paul was saying when he said in Timothy, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep to keep that which I have committed unto him. Let me ask you a question. Are you persuaded this morning that your bank is able to keep the money you've deposited into it? You probably are, otherwise you wouldn't have deposited your money there. But that's the verse, or that's the wording here, the picture that Paul is using. It's a picture of depositing money or something into an account for safekeeping. And I deposit my life into Christ for safekeeping because I know on my own it's not safe. But when I trust him with my life, my life is safe. And so when I get an opportunity, I think, oh, I don't know if I can do this or this or that. I go, wait a minute. I have committed my life to you. I deposited my life into you. You know better than I do. So I'll trust you on this one that I can care for this person despite resources, despite time. It's going to be okay. I trust you. You're first. I'll follow you. Good Samaritan, of course, is the classic example of someone who answered the call to care. Martin Luther King said this, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, because you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Priest walks by, looks, doesn't help. Levite walks by and looks and doesn't help. Those are the people that should have done something. They didn't. Here's what Martin Luther King said. The first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Samaritan reversed the question, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Folks, that just summarizes it right there. Because we don't really care if we're saying, what will happen to me if I stop and help? Do you know in B.C. we have something called the Good Samaritan Act as a law in our province? Ontario has it as well. Two provinces that have it, Good Samaritan Act. And the Good Samaritan Act is simply to protect you that if you go and help somebody as a volunteer and something goes wrong, you won't be held liable for it. Why do we have the Good Samaritan Act? It's to help ease, the, ease you, to help reassure you Because our fear is, well, if I step in and get involved with that, I I might get sued for helping or whatever. The Good Samaritan Act, by our own law, interesting to call it that, is to protect you so you could jump in and help and not be liable for what you did. Now, if you do it for gain or whatever, then there's a problem. But that's what that Good Samaritan Act is for. The road from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho, is 17 miles. And uh, it's a drop of over 2,500 feet. There's a picture of it. Not really, you know, lush, gorgeous country. It's a windy road. You could see easy for bandits to hang out there. Easy place for you to be robbed. That's the road that he's traveling on. And this is where he meets the person who has been 
robbed. And the good Samaritan, he's risking a lot to stop. Because if he stops and helps, there's a chance that he could get robbed. He gives up a lot. He gives up his medical kit. He gives up his donkey ride. He gives up a couple of days' wages because he pays for the guy at the hotel to be taken care of. Uh, he gives him his credit card. He said, by the way, if you other money need it, just put it on there. I'll, I'll pay you back. And he risks his reputation. He risks a lot to help. When we step out to care for people, there is an element of risk involved. But here's what I think eliminates the risk if we follow Jesus. Because I think our shepherd would lead us to care for somebody knowing it's going to be okay. Because whatever he calls us to do, he always empowers us for the calling that's on us. So if we're called to care for somebody, if we're called to do something, Fari in that video was called to go to UGM. So that means God also has empowered him or equipped him to do. When he called Jeremiah to preach in Jeremiah chapter 1, he said, don't worry about it. I will give you the words to say. You say you're a youth and this and that. You're answering the call. But know this, I will empower you for the call. God never calls us to do something that he doesn't equip us and empower us to do it. It would be a mean God to say, I've called you to do it. Oh, by the way, have fun with that one. No, no. He calls us, and then he empowers us, gives us everything we need so we succeed, right? When he sent his other disciples, he says, I'm sending you out, but I'm sending you out in power. You have power to heal diseases. You have power to cast out devils. I'm sending you out in power. And if you feel prompted by your spirit or God gives you this opportunity to care for somebody, please know that with that will come his empowerment and the resources, and your time schedule will be okay as you give your time to help people. Couple points we have to blaze through here. Uh, first of all, caring is based on need, not worth. If you're filling the blanks, it's need, not worth. It's the intrinsic value of the person that's hurt. That guy on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho there, that the Good Samaritan helped, he helped him based on the need, not the worth of that person, but the intrinsic value that he was a human life, that he, he must stop and help him. He had compassion on him. Secondly, caring does something. If we have compassion, we do something. To say we care and not act is to not care at all because our actions ultimately determine who we are. He asked the lawyer in that story of the Good Samaritan, he says, who's the good neighbor? You tell me. Was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Or was it the Samaritan? Based on the actions, it's the Good Samaritan. Your actions determine who you are. Good, good to know. Um, there was a a captain of a boat that was celebrated in 2004, a Korean captain. What happened 19 years earlier, there was a group of Vietnamese refugees on the South China Sea. Their motor went out, trying to escape to freedom, and the first day, some boats went by. They watched one boat go by. They waved frantically. They watched two three, five, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. They count them. Boats go by, screaming, waving, rescue us. We're perishing. The 51st boat went by, sailed by 10 minutes, did a U-turn, came back, and the captain got his crew together and said, we need to pick up these people. I'm going to likely lose my job. It's against the rules of our company to pick up refugees, but I'm going to pick them up. And so he took 96 people onto the boat and brought them to safety. It landed them safely. Years went by, but in 2004, that community had now moved to California, this Vietnamese community, and they said, I wonder where that captain is. And they looked him up, and they found that captain. He did lose his job. 
He had to live off his saving, get part-time work here and there, but they welcomed him back at the airport. And one of the guys who rescued him went and found him, and they welcomed him back and gave him a celebration. It cost him something, inconvenienced him, but he came back and he celebrated with him. A great story of somebody who did something, who cared enough to act, even though it cost him his job. And that's the next point. Caring does cost us something. And uh, we mentioned different things that the Good Samaritan had to give up in order to help that man along the side of the road. Also, caring demonstrates our relationship with God. I don't know this, the guy, that, the lawyer that talks to Jesus, you know, he, he asks a question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Sounds like a contradiction. What shall I do to inherit? You inherit based on relationship, not based on what you did. So his relationship already with God is kind of off base. And when we care for somebody, it really is tied in with our walk with God. The more we know him, the more we walk with him, the longer the disciples walk with Jesus, the more caring they become, and the more we answer the call to care for our city and for others. Today, we have the marathon running. Perhaps it's still being run. I'm not sure. Ending just a few few blocks from here. And of course, we know the marathon that was run in Boston a few weeks ago and the tragedy that happened there. In that race, there was a young girl running in her early 20s, and Just before she got to the finish line, the bombs went off. And, of course, she was traumatized by it. She was thinking about her family, and she ran to find her family and so forth. She found them and sat down on the curb, tears in her eyes, and just in shock at what happened. And then realizing after all that work, all that preparation, qualifying for the marathon, et cetera, she didn't finish it. And uh, when you you finish the, the marathon, you get a very prestigious medal that you completed the marathon. And that's the medal that you win. And especially for this marathon, it'd be pretty cool to have one of those. You'd want to show your kids, hey, I ran in that marathon. It became infamous for all the wrong reasons, but I was in that marathon. And as she sat there on the side of the road, just in shock and crying, another guy had run the race, and he'd completed about a half hour earlier. And uh, that's him there, uh, Brent Cunningham and his wife. And you see the medal is around his neck there. This is after he crossed the, the finish line. And he comes by, and he sees her sitting there, and his wife puts a blanket around her. She was shivering, and he asks her what happened, and she explains what happens. And and then he does something that you wouldn't think of. He, He took his medal off, and he gave it to her. And in the article that was in the newspaper, it says, I just wanted to let her know she was amazing. I said, you're a finisher in my eyes. That was that, Cunningham said. She was so emotional she couldn't talk, and I've been emotional about it at least five times since then. Cunningham is the regional director of Alaska Young Life, a Christian outreach ministry for teens, and this was his first Boston Marathon and possibly his last chance for the coveted medal. He dreamed for years of running the race, and it took him about two years to qualify. Even then, he qualified by only 90 seconds. However, his time on Monday of three hours, 41 minutes, was too slow to qualify for a spot in next year's race. He said he hopes to qualify again someday, but has no regrets about giving Wellington his medal. She needed more than I needed it. I just wanted to know that you're worth it. With everything that has happened, our world is looking for hope. My whole life is about loving God and loving others. That's who I am. Why why was he a good Samaritan? Yeah, thank God for that. What, What drove him to do that? It was the love of God inside of him. 
I must do it. So our care, our compassion for the city and the people around us is, is, comes out of a relationship with God. That was a great example of it. Changing, caring changes lives for the one who received it. That girl, her life is forever changed. But he, he's also changed. So caring changes lives, the one who received and the one who gave. This past week, we have life groups on Tuesday night, and I missed life group. I missed the best life group we've ever had, according to our life group. And uh, I had a board meeting that I had to be at, so they went. And in the afternoon, Cheryl sent out an email. There was a single mom, and uh, we were going to give some of our furniture to this single mom. And, uh, and then she sent out an email, anybody else want to contribute to it? Well, by the afternoon, we had a truck that came, and towels and sheets and all this stuff was rounded up. And so the life group, our life group that night, is we just went to her place, and we unloaded everything. We gave it to her, and... Uh, Cheryl showed me the pictures after. She was elated. She was in the, in the service uh, last night, and she was so excited for what a life group had done for her. She was just so blessed by it. But I think we were more blessed, our life group. And uh, all those in the life group said, that's the best life group or one of the best that we've ever had. And uh, why? Because we had the privilege of giving. We had the privilege of sharing. And, uh, you know, as the Lord said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. One of the reasons we're doing the city, and you got that handout when you came, is a lot of times you can be in a service like this. You have no idea that somebody next to you, somebody across the room from you has a need. But hopefully we're able with the city to communicate more effectively how we could help somebody else right here within our own congregation. And number six is that, caring for others as you have opportunity. Look at Galatians 6, 9, and 10. It says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore... Note this, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith, especially us. I mean, yeah, we help everybody, but we also have to care right here. Paul said, do good, especially to your brothers and sisters, as you have opportunity. Now, there's two points that I have to make here for you that are really important. Number one, this means know your boundaries, because there's a difference between being responsible to a person and responsible for a person. I'm responsible to love you. I'm responsible to give. I'm responsible to pray and to serve. But we are not responsible for their happiness, for their finances, for their emotions, or for their choices. The success and failure of their spiritual progress. They must work out their own salvation. So sometimes Christians get hung up and get weighted down. You don't take that weight. That's their choice. God says, I set before you life and death. You choose. So I can't make your choice. I can... I can do for you. I, I, I'm responsible to you, but I'm not responsible for you. The good Samaritan was responsible to that man, but he didn't carry him the rest of his life. He was responsible to him, but not for him. So that's an important point as we think about caring for others. And secondly, we have limitations. Because when we look around, there's a lot of needs, right? And sometimes you're like, okay, whew, there's a lot to care for. How do, how do I do all this? Well, there's three responses, especially when you live in the heart of a city and you see so many needs around, you can actually be overwhelming. So there's three responses. Number one response, we don't want to do this one, is I'm just going to shut it all out. And I'm just going to retreat, isolate myself, and just ignore it all. That's not a good response. Secondly, we can say, you know what, I'm going to take it all on. I'm going to help everybody. Well, we can't do that. There's not enough of us. We get razor thin. We get jaded, burnt out when we try to do that. Or the third response, like Pastor Andy Stanley says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. That's a good statement. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Be engaged. Go deep. 
rather than shallow and help one person. That we can replicate. And if we all did that, we would help everybody. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. If you live downtown or you're downtown a lot, you often know that there's people that are on the corner asking for money or whatever. And, and you know, there was a time in my life, one story as I close, that I thought, oh, man, I should be doing more. And it's kind of like I was in that second category. I was trying to do it for everybody, and I was just, it was just I was getting thin. And uh, so we had, before the Shangri-La was built, we had squeegee guys on the corner there. And I, I was just praying about, Lord, who, who should, which is the one that I should be helping? I can't do for everybody. Which one? There was a guy by the name of Joe. Joe worked the squeegee down there, and, and uh, I got talking to Joe, and Joe told me one time, he said, you know, I don't want your money. Don't give me money. I'll just, I'll just go spend it on drugs. I said, well, how much do you need? What, what does it take? He said, I need at least 10 bucks for a hit. That's the minimum I need is $10, but don't give me your money. And I got talking to Joe. Joe came from northern Saskatchewan. Years ago, he went to church, came to Vancouver. Somebody here introduced him to drugs, and he spiraled downhill. And uh, so I got to talk to Joe. I invited Joe to church lots. Joe never came to church. He says, ah, oh, they'll judge me. Uh, you don't want me in church. And I smell, I sleep here on the street and so forth. You don't want me in church. You'll get up and leave if I sit beside him. No, Joe, come. You'll be surprised. <laughs> we're not what you think. You know, we're a bunch of ordinary people. And some of us have similar backgrounds. Come on up. But Joe would never come. Finally, Christmas Eve, a number of years ago, I said, Joe, come on. It's Christmas Eve. Come to church. It's raining. It's cold. Come to church. So Joe came. The one time he came to church, Christmas Eve, and after the service, I said, Joe, uh, where are you staying tonight? He goes, on the street. I said, Joe, can I, can I at least buy you a hotel room tonight? I won't give you the money. I'll just, I'll pay for the room on my card. Let me give you a hotel room for a couple nights. It's Christmas. I got to be able to give you a Christmas present. And Joe said, okay, you can, I'll take it. I talked to him after. He said, oh, man, that shower felt so good. You know, I said, oh, white sheets. He said, oh, it was so good. He said, I and I, you know, I made sure he had some food in there, and it was great. And you know where Joe is today? He's, he's in Victoria. Joe's got a job. Joe bounced back. Joe's going to church. Joe's changed. He's changed. It was for one. I can't do it for everybody. I can do it for one. And it just released me. You can't care for everybody, but God will give you, as you have opportunity, care. So you have to have those guidelines as you care. Otherwise, we can feel guilty, condemned. But you can care for somebody. God will bring somebody into your life. Thanks so much for listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. We hope that today's message has inspired you to live a life fully devoted to following Christ. Be sure to check out our website for other ways to watch, listen, or share this message. For more information, go to coastalchurch.org.